I think I love this in my own return home. You're always thinking about when I leave, what can I bring back? And I think that there's so many artists that are working in this way, especially from different places that have been historically marginalized and under-resourced. So I'm really inspired by people who are really changing practices Mm -hmm. and and people are really like really disrupting these more exploitative practices within the arts in order to build and build together and actually change the way that things are being done. everyone, Sophia here, and welcome back to the Love Made Visible podcast. For this week's interview, I met with artist and museum curator Erica May Chua Hallam, and we talked about her amazing journey to becoming Blaffer Art Museum's assistant curator here in Houston. This episode was intended to be released last Monday, but as you may have noticed, I wasn't able to get it up on time. And the biggest and most frustrating reason for this was I goofed big time during the interview a few months back, and I didn't realize until way after Erica and I talked that the gain on Erica's mic was on its lowest setting. So when it came time to edit the interview and balance the audio, Erica's voice was super quiet and really hard to hear, and I did my best to edit the audio and really bring out her voice in it without distorting any of the sound. I know there will be parts of this that are kind of hard to hear, but it is a learning process. I'm no sound engineer, and (laughs) I'm kind of just figuring it all out as I go. So hopefully you'll still be able to enjoy this interview. I certainly enjoyed talking to Erica. All right, here we go. here with Erica Hollum, and um, you're a curator at Blaffer Museum, right? Yeah. Okay, awesome. So let's start with going back a little bit, where you were born and where you grew up. Yeah, I was born at Spring Branch Hospital in Houston, Texas. (laughs) Um, At the time, my family lived in Jersey Village, and then I eventually was mostly raised in a house at 290, a little bit towards Cyprus, but mm. very much Houston. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And so you've lived in Houston most of your life, but you've traveled a lot? Yeah. Right? <laughs> so I, again, was born in Houston, raised in Houston, and I stayed here until I was about 17. And then Ooh. I went to a really small liberal arts college in <laughs> central Illinois. Yeah. Um, so I went from one of living in like one of the biggest cities in the United States to <laughs> yeah. like I'm not even kidding, like an 800-person, super small really? college. <laughs> um, it was, like, out of everywhere I've lived in the entire world, it was the biggest culture shock, you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it was, like, literally just cornfields. Just fields, Texas soybean. to Illinois. <laughs> yes, it was wild. So I was there um, 
In total, four years, but during that time, I studied abroad in London, and wow. I did research in Brisbane and Australia, oh, um, okay. and then I also did my last semester in Cape Town, South Africa. Oh my so gosh, kind of nice. just exploring and <laughs> trying to make the most out of, I guess, a situation that was really challenging. Yeah. <laughs> did you have a favorite place that you lived, oh like outside gosh, of the U.S.? <laughs> I think, honestly, Cape Town is one of my favorite cities yeah. in the world. It's definitely one of the most complicated cities to live in just because of the history and mm. um, just the depth the extent of segregation in okay. the city and I country see. but I think for that similar reason it gives a really important and valuable perspective for looking at the United States mm-hmm. and the kind of parallel histories that we share with countries like South Africa right um, and it's also just stunning. Like, it's just a beautiful city. Yeah. Um, I also did a summer school in Helsinki, which was one of my favorite Oh, nice. Too. Yeah. Wow. I, I asked my sister if she wanted to study there for one summer, <laughs> and she said yes. So, so we went there during um, August uh, 2014. Oh. That was really, really fun. That is so awesome. <laughs> is she an uh, art, art major too? Not at all. She <laughs> studied neuroscience in undergrad at Baylor oh, nice. and then went on to do PA school. So she's oh, like okay. a PA for psych- and a psychiatrist. Okay, awesome. <laughs> really different. <laughs> but that's cool though. I think that like those two fields complement each other yeah. in like the the coolest ways you know totally, what I mean yeah but yeah so how did you with your academic background in art and everything how did your journey start like were you always interested in in art or kind of like the more historical background in art or was That's such a good question I mean honestly I think growing up in Houston we have really amazing art institutions mm-hmm. um, and I think at the time that I was growing up here they were quite new, like relatively Ooh. speaking, to like New York or Chicago or, or even like um, places in Europe and Asia or whatever. Um, and so I feel like I had so much access to understanding the world of like, especially modern and contemporary art with Ooh. places like the Mineral Collection or MFA, um, that I absolutely loved those spaces. Like I loved the kind of imagination that art invokes and the ways that it just broadens what your your way of seeing or way of thinking or way of really understanding the world around you yeah in addition yeah. to the fact that Houston as a place has so much cultural production that yes. doesn't happen inside mm-hmm. of those institutions and so I think I always kind of loved and cherished the kind of formal aspects of my art education in, like and then the informal ones as mm-hmm. well right yeah. like yeah. being um, part of you know, Filipino yeah. <laughs> um, cultural things and yeah. um, I don't know just knowing that people were doing really interesting work in like vacant spaces mm-hmm. or in their communities that were often unseen but just added so much to what we understand as like cultural and artistic production yeah, yeah. so anyway that's kind of just like how I think a lot of this way this you know approach was formed mm-hmm. but when I got to school I actually studied political science like I thought I was going to become a lawyer um, <laughs> mostly because I didn't actually know like what professions were out there <laughs> you know what I mean like, yeah. you know like my mom was just like I don't know like my mom never ever pushed me in, like to do anything it was really just like do what you want yeah, and, yeah. Um, I think I was just like well I want to like work with people and mm-hmm. I want to 
contribute in any positive way to like communities and people around me um and so I just thought like that was the only I don't know like <laughs> I, I was not going to do medicine um I wasn't going to do anything that required a lot of like science um so I thought that was like kind of the path that was, mm-hmm. that was I was going down um but as I got more involved in like activism and organizing mm. and and really like conversations about you know what does it look like to build a future together yeah. I realized I was in conversations with artists I was in conversations with curators I was in you know like really yeah. thinking about how how to build the future that doesn't exist requires an imagination that I think That's a lot of awesome. artists bring yeah yeah and so after college I went and work this was like my last semester was in Cape Town so then I went and worked at a art space in Uganda in oh wow <laughs> um and then from there I like very serendipitously got a job my first job out of college at the Venice Biennale so oh, I literally went from Uganda to Italy <laughs> yeah um yeah. holy cow yeah I was, like I'm not even kidding That's when insane. I tell you I was like still covered in like red dirt from like the, <laughs> you know, like, the roads and yeah. then I was like in like one of the shiniest places in the world <laughs> Palazzo, and my boss just looked at me like, "Well, just like, where did you just come from?" <laughs> like, I'm ready to work, you know. <laughs> um, so that's awesome. You're like, yeah, just, you like just you just jump right into it. Seriously, the best way to. But I also so that was kind of like the summer, or the summer slash fall after I graduated college. Mm-hmm. And the year following, I spent um, in Malaysia. And mm-hmm. that was kind of the space where I was still figuring out kind of, like, my uh, kind of aspirations to work with um, communities. And I was really interested in refugee rights and protections. Ooh, so okay. I was teaching um, students who are living as refugees in Malaysia and at the same time, like, supporting this arts festival. Yeah. So I was, like, teaching photography skills to my students. And then, <laughs> you know, like, it was all sort of, like, coming together in this yeah. way. And, like, I yeah. like, curated part of that photography festival and then, like, brought the students in. Um, and then I think from there, I just moved to... I, I came back to the U.S. Actually worked as a social worker oh in Chicago. <laughs> Still not sure if I was I going to law school. <laughs> but I ended up... Um, doing my master's in museum and exhibition studies. That is so And cool. the program that I chose was actually quite like an abolitionist-oriented program, mm-hmm. meaning like we don't just want to see museums transform. We actually want to kind of abolish the colonial structures and Ooh, systems okay. that they replicate. Yeah, And yeah. it can actually be like more for communities and people. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's just... That's so cool. <laughs> No, that it is so freaking awesome. Road, yeah, you know? dude, that, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm so inspired by the idea that, like, all those changes and stuff that we we want to see and everything, you said it a second ago, like, it takes imagination. And so I think it makes sense that artists would be, like, you know, one of the people that's, like, in the center of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so with that, do you think that there's um, other kind of advantages to for people to have a general like knowledge or a general appreciation of not just art but where it comes from like the history and right. the culture behind it do you think that right no, absolutely mm-hmm. I think I think a few things about that like mm-hmm. I think that 
we are surrounded, and kind of like what I was saying about growing up in Houston, we're surrounded by artistic and cultural production mm -hmm. so much more than I think we have um, attention, or we're, we're kind of privy to, mm -hmm. and, and it is at like the forefront of our attention. I think, you know, just kind of mentioning your work with um, in home health and mm -hmm. things like that, like there are practices within that that are absolutely part of like artistic practices or to care for people around you is the same work of being a curator, right? Mm. To care for objects and yeah. people and stories. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think when it comes to the museum space, the exhibition, um, I really try to always make known that they're not neutral spaces. Ooh. There's no such thing as a neutral classroom, a neutral, um, you know, exhibition hall, a neutral museum. Like, these are political Ooh. institutions. And this idea, there's, that there has to be a way that we think of these things as tools for organizing people, Ooh. organizing ideas. And of course, like the histories that are yeah. both written and unwritten. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. That's kind of my orientation towards like what access is now, like what mm -hmm. what kind of access there is at this moment, mm -hmm. um, or lack thereof. Yeah. And how those are all very much choices that have been made over time. Yeah. Um, that I firmly take a side on, right? Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm extremely aware yeah. of the omissions yeah. and the erasures and just the, the, the straight-up, like, refusals that mm. have happened over time and place for people, um, and largely and predominantly people of color and mm. um, just non-white men. Minorities, I know. <laughs> you know. Like, people who aren't white and not men. Yeah. Um, so... I don't know, I see that as very much part of my own like, political practice as well as mm. curatorial practice and also just sort of my aspirational hope yeah. for what, what can be possible. As far as, you know, um, all your travels and stuff, what were some of the differences that you saw between, say, like, Houston and the museum in Italy that you, you Right, sure. Yeah, I think it's really different all over the world. Um, I think that, for example, one of the most inspiring arts ecosystems and communities are, I would say, in South Africa. Like, mm. I think that was where I was really... Um, mobilized mm -hmm. in a certain way of knowing there is so much potential here. Like, I can remember going to one of their national institutions. So, like, imagine, like, the Smithsonian. Mm. And um, the curators of that institution put up a show. I want to say... I think it was called My Fair Lady or, or something like that. <laughs> it, it was really fascinating. Yeah. And it was supposed to be about feminism. It consisted largely of, like, not just white women artists, but, like, 
portraits of white women by male artists. So, like, just a really weird, complicated <laughs> exhibition yeah, to begin portrait. with. Mm-hmm. But then to put that in South Africa, that is actively decolonizing their institutions, right, it was just yeah. bizarre. <laughs> and so they worked, and oh, and one of the artists was in a, it was currently under trial for sexually assaulting or just assaulting a sex worker oh my goodness it was just like so many levels yeah of like so many questions yeah. and they worked with i say worked with but they they had a group of advocates for sex worker rights in south africa Ooh. come into the institution physically remove pictures from the walls and in their place would be like kind of this um masking tape that said this picture was formerly here and it's been removed for this reason oh and i was absolutely just like so inspired by the ways that those voids Mm. were very present within the museum yeah and very much part of this sort of corrective narrative yeah things that needed to happen but I mean, it was obviously in a way that something really bad had happened mm. in order for this kind of, um, you know, these types of actions to take place. Yeah. But I love that. Like, I love yeah, that yeah. a museum can be agile enough to allow itself to transform in real yeah, time, you know, that's and true. to look extremely messy. Like, we're talking about <laughs> like masking tape. Yeah. Like, like, things just literally written on the walls. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that these things need to be need to be happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for that discomfort to be severely felt, mm-hmm. you know, in order to even just understand that there's an underlying problem here. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's all to say. <laughs> I think that places, just like in other parts of the world, we in Houston are also contending with the histories and mm-hmm. legacies of these types of places. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there are definitely differences, and I kind of mentioned before about like how young the institutions are here. Um, that I think sometimes there's been like silos created around um, what the institutions are doing versus like what people in the communities are building. Yeah, and I think that that distinction really troubles me. <laughs> I. Um, I can see how that was created over time, Mm -hmm. and I also think it doesn't have to persist. The museums can actually be for the people surrounding them, um, for the people who, you know, we were only visitors to them for such a long time. Very true, very true. I don't know, at least in my position, I feel really honored, but I also feel a, a great amount of responsibility Ooh, to right. kind of address these ways that now I'm a part of it, but yeah. I also have been out of it. You know, yeah. like, like I have this kind of duality yeah. in my perspective That's, um, yeah. that so cool. I'm very excited to work on. Yeah. But, but you know, it's it's very it's like a burden of responsibility. And so. <laughs> no, I think that's beautiful. I think just I mean like just personally looking back when we were kids and stuff like going to museums and everything you either you either were for it or against it I feel like and I think that that's kind of that that's starting to make more sense to me now listening to what you were saying about museums role in society and stuff it's starting to make a lot of sense to me why you know if if I'm going to a museum and I'm not seeing like you know my culture or just even my community like reflected Mm -hmm. back at me I, I I think it is understandable that 
people wouldn't have like that interest you know right. what I mean to so, like mm-hmm. get involved in, in stuff like that or to right. go deeper and everything but yeah. yeah I never like you've just opened up like a whole new world <laughs> for me this is amazing sure. <laughs> <laughs> were there any artists that have inspired you along the way either politically artistically or just you know in oh general my God, sure <laughs> there's so many oh my god let me just like 18 people just like popped into my head I, I... <laughs> let's have all 18 yeah. um so there there's an artist who I met when I was working. I worked on the Lagos Biennial in Nigeria in 2019. Mm-hmm. And the artist in residence that year was an artist from Nairobi, Kenya, called Jess Ateneo. And she is such an incredible artist. She did this installation for the biennial casting water bottles. And it, like, really filled this space. Um, we, we were... We had installed the entire exhibition in this... Um, former government building it's called independence hall it was given yeah. given to nigeria after british independence um <laughs> given, given. In quotes. In quotes, um, yeah. <laughs> and like she, she had kind of like stacked these um water bottles inside of this like former closet it was just Ooh. like really fascinating and so shortly after the biannual uh she moved to chicago Ooh. and so we've gotten to know each other really well and like i've i've um, just followed her practice and you know we've just become friends over time yeah, yeah. she's working on a open access library called the Nairobi Print Project um, and it really is for the ways that she sees gaps in Nairobi in mm. terms of access in terms of um, art history books or materials or critical scholarship and all of these things that I love this way of constantly returning to, I mean, I think I love this in kind of like my own um, return home, yeah. that you're always thinking about when I leave, what can I bring back? Mm. And okay. I think that there's so many artists that are working in this way, especially yeah. from different places that have been, you know, historically marginalized mm. and under-resourced because of colonialism, because of, you know, these horrible um, <laughs> ways that other places have extracted from yeah. these parts of the world. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of my favorite artists who's a lot, um, I guess, I don't know, he's represented by the white cube, but Ibrahim Mahama, he's from Ghana, and he built an institution in his hometown of Tamale, and has just been doing this for I want to say over a decade, just Mm. like all of his work that's shown throughout Europe or throughout the entire world is for the purpose of thinking about what I can bring back to where I'm from. And so sometimes his art will be presented in like a gallery in Italy, for example, and then that same installation will then return to Ghana and then be for the community and for the people. So I'm really inspired by people who are really changing practices. Mm -hmm. Um, I think historically, you know, artists will present their work and it will get, you know, bought and sold. Yeah. And there's really not this way that you can lift the community or bring the community along with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that that's changing. And, yeah, and people are really, yeah. like, really disrupting a arts ecosystem or, or, you know, just, like, these more exploitative practices within the arts. 
in order to build and build together yeah. and actually change the way that things are being done. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, Matt Manalo is doing this in Houston. I mean, he'd, like, <laughs> yeah. shout out to Matt always. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, These are just a, No, know, yeah, that's awesome. Know, three of 3,000, you know, <laughs> that we could probably be just talking about all day. No, that, that is so awesome. And, like, I think a lot of people, I don't know, I, a lot of people, they're always just like, oh, this is how things have always been. And so, you know, what's the use of kind of trying to change it or yeah kind of like break from tradition but I think it's definitely worth it especially if you're talking about giving people like their culture mm-hmm. back their history and their heritage back and you know you can be part of that journey to bring right. it back to back to them and so with your own photography and like your mm-hmm. art and everything just like how you express yourself through yeah, your art sure. ha- how has um, your cultural heritage and like your history how has that influenced kind of your style and you know yeah. what you like to create no, for sure yeah I <laughs> I think that in terms of artistic practice I definitely pretty strongly identify with a writing practice mm. um, I don't know I, I really like taking photos but I, I feel mm. like those are more so like notes oh. <laughs> like, you know what I mean I don't know yeah. like it's hard to explain like I, I I think of it more as like a practice of like seeing places or things and even just like for Instagram like yeah I try actually quite hard to not have people in images and I think that definitely is tied to I think Filipino Filipino American history in a lot of ways because one the image of the, the way, the history of photography and just sort of the colonial model of taking images of brown people or colonial mm. subjects is really quite violent. Mm-hmm. And I think that as someone who grew up and currently occupies a colonized place, mm-hmm. I'm very hesitant to just include images of, of people. I don't know how to uh, explain that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think a lot about, like, what is it how to think about a space and a place without this kind of observational gaze or like a little bit more the colonial gaze that's mm-hmm. placed upon like people that are subjects of images. Yeah. But yeah. then in other ways, I think for Filipino Americans or Filipinos in general, I think we're often expected to show brown bodies mm. in the work. And it's, it's just simply because of this history, you know? And, yeah. Um, I kind of love, like, avoiding that, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then again, I think it's really different when it comes to writing or, like, mm-hmm. having, like, a writing practice because I really love the limitlessness of, mm. like, describing and narrating because that's yeah. only, like, the reality that's being represented. Yeah. So I think that there is a really strong connection between the images and the writing mm-hmm. um, because it's just, like, a way of seeing and then a way of, like, kind of describing yeah. that um, is trying to really grapple with a lot of these things all at once. Yeah. yeah. So, like I mentioned earlier, you were uh, recently named curator for Blaffer mm-hmm. Art Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far, what has been your favorite thing about the work you do there? <laughs> yeah, I think one of the 
favorite things that just through the process of like even interviewing for the position and getting Ooh. to know the museum is that they engage with um, topics and artists um, internationally, mm-hmm. and like their entire focus um, for Houston is to kind of be the museum that gives a local or kind of regional artist their first major museum show, and then to do to have. Um, to give international artists their first major um, museum show in the United States. So so I feel like that's just something that I absolutely love. Like, I think in a lot of ways, you'll see museums in the U.S. kind of be very insular about topics or um, artists that are just from the U.S. or or just Mm. from, you know, like, the place that they're working within. Yeah. And I think that just makes makes total sense for a museum in Houston, so they open up that conversation and um, work with so many different artists working all over the place. Yeah, and I think that, like, in a very basic way, I'm very happy the museum is a public institution. Mm. Like, (laughs) I I, I love that it's connected to a campus. Yeah, yeah. um, There's just so much possibility in thinking about what does it mean for a museum to be public and to be close to people who are doing a lot of thinking and um, engaging in dialogue and discourse all the time with the university right there. So, I don't know, I feel like there's a really potential. Yeah, <laughs> I think, like, that in and of itself, that is what it means to be an artist. At the yeah. end of the day, you just, you really look for the potential in things, right? right? <laughs> so, you mentioned that your first job after, I believe you said school, was mm-hmm. one in Italy, right? Did you uh, work any, like, non-artist jobs oh, in the Oh, my past? God, yes. Oh, for <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, yes, my first job ever was... Um, I, I played tennis a lot growing up. Ooh. <laughs> I worked at a tennis shop off to 1960 and uh, Veterans Memorial. Ooh. If I have that right. Anyway. Was it Tennis Express? Or yeah, no. Sports Express. Okay. I, that, I know exactly the, the one you're talking about, but no, this was called Sports Express. <laughs> um, so I was there most of high school. And then in, in college, I was a maid at a bed and breakfast at a small town oh. in LA. <laughs> What else did I do? Well, when I thought I was going to law school, I worked at a law firm one summer, and then I worked at, like, an arts... It was actually really interesting. It was, like, a visual politics nonprofit. So they would do exhibitions on, like, the work of photojournalists. Um, oh, okay. In order okay. to, like, raise awareness for certain topics. Yeah. That was really interesting. I was in Chicago. When I was in Malaysia, I was a teacher. Wow. Um, when I came back to Chicago, I was a social worker for an organization <laughs> that supported survivors of domestic violence. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I think after that, it was mostly like art jobs. So, That's so um, cool. At a gallery, at a museum, <laughs> at the biannual. And then I was like, right before moving back to Houston, I was at a arts American Art Foundation. So they like funded oh. projects related to American art. Mm. That's so yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Definitely I like a brand that range of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that like leads me perfectly into my next question. Yeah, yeah. Like that range of work that you've done, what comes to mind when you hear the phrase work is love made visible? My first reaction is, 
is just that I think I have a very different connotation with work versus labor. And I think that work for me is still like a nine to five that you clock into. <laughs> and like, you know, when I think about the whole uh, every, the spectrum of activities that involve curating a show, right? Mm-hmm. Is that there's just emails that have to be sent, there's meetings that have to be met, yeah. there's, you know, like, there's just things that have to get done. And that to me is like, yeah. We show up every day, send these emails, have these meetings, <laughs> fill out these, you know, funding applications, grant proposals, like yeah. all these things. And that is work. But mm. I think where labor comes in, like the actual like labors of love, is like the care that goes into those tasks. Mm. And the ensuring that, you know, if someone's voice is not at the meeting, why aren't they here? Why aren't they present? Mm-hmm. Who's being left out? Who can we include? Um, you know, are we trying to work more equitably? Are we trying to think about, um, you know, anti-racist practice? or You know, all of these different things. And that, I, I don't know, I think that that's yeah. kind of just like my a paradigm for the work. Yeah, yeah. I've asked several other people the same question. You're the first to make that distinction between work and labor, and I I love that. I absolutely (laughs) love that. So, kind of just to like wrap things up a little bit, what, if any, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Oh my god, 20 year old Erica. Where where were you in um, (laughs) when you were? I think I. I'm literally doing the math right now. um, So it must have been 2015. I was in my undergrad and... Oh my god, I feel like I was so sad that year. Mm. I was so sad because that undergrad I was at, I felt like I was just in the middle of nowhere in (laughs) Illinois. And I had no idea, you know, like being in your like being 20 yeah and like not knowing what's out there but like really just wanting i don't know for things to start like i think that that's yeah I was, I was just yeah. like, i was just like i just want to like jump into things and do stuff you just want to be out there yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i think that i would tell her like i think firstly like always it's like it's always going to be okay <laughs> yeah. but that i think i know more than i give myself credit for Ooh, and okay. I think even 20-year-old Erica, I think that's true. Okay. Like, just go with your diet. Yeah. Um, and have a lot of fun. Have, like, the most fun you can possibly <laughs> have always. Yeah. Um, and if it's not fun, there's probably something wrong. <laughs> in, all, in many different ways, that's, right? That's the best I could give to myself. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that there's a certain level of like anxiety that comes with thinking that you need more than you already have mm. and I think that that was right. kind of like definitely a 20 year old Erica yeah <laughs> <laughs> so just appreciate mm-hmm. you know where we are where you are the capabilities that you, you have what, yeah. what's around you and just relax enjoy it you know that's awesome <laughs> all right well thank you so much that's actually it so um before we like end it um where can people find you like on social media and 
can we visit you at the museum? Tuesday through Friday, I'm there. Okay. Saturday and Sunday, the museum's open and I can be there. Yes. Um, yes. And I just changed my Instagram handle to Erica Mechua. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that. I don't use Twitter. I only use it for K-pop. Um, oh. <laughs> so don't go there. <laughs> Definitely we're going there. I'm putting the link in everything. <laughs> If you want to learn about the latest K-pop people, yes, I need I need my K-pop news <laughs> featuring Erica. Yeah. But I'm honestly accessible on any platform, really, like IG, LinkedIn, Facebook. You want, email me. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Erica Hollum. You guys, I had so much fun talking to Erica. She's one of the sweetest people I've ever met, and it was just such a joy to hear her talk about her work and how exciting it was for her to see all the all the changes happening in the art space and museum space and the whole world of art curating was just so unknown to me and so I actually really did learn a lot from this interview so I hope you guys enjoyed it as well, despite the little hiccups in the sound. And I encourage you guys to follow Erica and Blaffer Art Museum on Instagram. I'll be linking their handles in the show notes. And see for yourself the incredible work that they're doing for the community and learn how you can support them. And as always, give this podcast a follow too, at Love Made Visible Pod. Thank y'all so much, and I'll see you next week. Bye.